But first, Laura Tingle, Chief Political Correspondent with 7.30, makes her return to the Little Wireless Program. Good to have you back, Laura. We must start with the developments in the Middle East, Israel and Hamas at war. What's been our um, official response? Uh, Philip, the official response has been very much to sort of say, you know, we stand behind Israel. This is the Prime Minister's position and that, that of his colleagues uh, and um, it's a generally bipartisan position, which is to say, you know, this is an unprovoked attack um, and, you know, it, it, it's just completely unacceptable. I think the nature of what's happened, the fact that this was basically a terror attack um, which in its imagery is, um, you know, I suppose the only thing I can think of likening it to in terms of the imagery that people um, who aren't involved in this dispute see on their television is a bit like the attacks on the athletes um, at the Munich Olympics. Um, it's sort of transformed the discussion, I think, in Australia. I mean, if you think about it, only some months ago there was... Um, Real pressure for a greater recognition of um, of Palestinian aims uh, within the Labor Party. Um, the government was sort of, shall we say, softening the position, um, to, or, or sort of changing the the boundaries of the debate about the Israel Palestine conflict. Um, you know, toughening up its rhetoric uh, uh, on Israel. But I think the images of people being of young women being uh, kidnapped. Um, and sort of reports of people just being shot dead at music festivals and stuff has changed the way this is being seen uh, in political circles in Australia. I think if I stuck my head out the window shortly, I'd see uh, the the sails of the Opera House illuminated in blue and white as yeah. a... As a which, which is quite... An indication quite, of support for Israel. Which, which is a really uh, strong indication of support for Israel and the scenes have been really horrendous, but it does seem like an incredibly strong element of politics to be brought onto the sales of the Sydney Opera House. And, of course, tonight there's been a very big pro-Palestinian rally that's marched towards the Sydney Opera House to protest and say, well, why aren't you lighting up? Why haven't you ever lit up the sales for us as well? Back home, uh, just a few days left until referendum day and the polls for yes are uh, pretty much uh, horrific. It's still a narrow path to victory? Well, I think uh, those in the yes camp sort of remain hopeful rather than optimistic. Um, they, they still think that there's these undecided votes that may be able to be persuaded, Philip, uh, but I don't know whether, you know, that it's a, it's a very narrow path to victory, uh, you'd have to say, um, given that you've got to get that double um, majority of uh, the national vote and uh, votes across the majority of states. It seems pretty hard, uh, hard hill to climb. I think that uh, compulsory voting will help the no vote and that if it was not compulsory, the referendum, uh, and with, what, two million already pre-polled, it would be a rather different outcome. Now, the PM remains focused on Saturday, but he has said the government will not legislate a voice if the yes vote fails. 
Willie has, um, and presumably that's partly to just galvanise those people who say, you know, that, that, that sort of if the yes case is weakened by the fact it's saying um, that this is completely harmless but also it will completely change the world, the opposite is also true of the no case. The, the weakness of the no case is it's also saying um, that, uh, you know, if you don't think it goes far enough, you know, it goes too far, but if you don't think it goes far enough, you should vote no. Um, and I think this, the PM's clearly trying to sort of focus people's minds on the fact that if if this um, referendum doesn't succeed, the issue's going to just go away altogether. It's not going to come back in some other form, no matter that um, Peter Dutton has suggested from time to time that uh, he might move a referendum that's just on constitutional recognition, not on the voice itself. So I think there's partly... That's part of it, but I think also there are very big questions about um, where where we end up after Saturday if, as expected, the no vote succeeds in terms of the politics of Indigenous affairs. Kalu Kalei, O'Frabjiste, Laura Tingle is back with us after a, a long absence. And, Laura, you've written a piece on the tone and tenor of the voice debate which I commend to listeners, uh, you'll describe the, well, the debate of another ugly chapter in our history, but not without precedent. Not without precedent, Philip. Um, and I've drawn on two uh, distinguished sources, uh, if you like. Uh, David Marr's new book, um, Killing for Country, which reflects on his discovery of the fact that his great-great-great relatives were... Um, part of the uh, sort of organised police force which went out and conducted mass killings of Aboriginal people in New South Wales and Queensland and on top of documenting what actually happened, which was all on the public record, or a lot of it was, uh, not all of it, uh, but quite a lot of it was, but also the debate itself at the time um, and the fact that um, people... You know, there were a lot of very similar echoes to what we're hearing um, at the moment, but also um, a speech that um, Robert French, the former Chief Justice of the High Court, gave to the Press Club on Friday where he reflected on some of the discussions that were going on around the time of Federation and yes, the Yes, he of the says, we've heard, if you don't know, vote no before. That's right. Um, he was. It, it, now, it, now, you've probably got it in front of me, Philip, and I haven't, and I don't want to misquote the eminent jurist. But he, it was. It was. A, it was a. It was a really good speech for just outlining the fact that this, the uh, argument that if you don't know, vote no, was basically a travesty on the um, imagination that was available to the uh, founding fathers who wrote the Constitution, which everybody's so furiously apparently defending at the moment. French quoted the then Premier of Queensland, uh, Samuel Griffith, who called out the, uh, quote, timid men who are afraid of launching into something new. But uh, where was ever a great thing achieved without risking something? Mm. And I think that's that's the sort of, sort of sense of the whole speech, Philip, that, um, you know, there's... At times during this debate, there has been this discussion which goes to, you know, the legalities of of the um, of the constitution. I think the overwhelming um, weight of opinion now amongst legal figures is that that um, the proposal being put forward isn't constitutionally 
you know, dangerous or any of those things. But uh, I thought it was really interesting that Robert French lifted it, you know, a, another notch and was really talking about, you know, the spirit um, of what was required to actually get agreement um, on the constitution at the time, you know, that everybody didn't agree um, and that we sort of tend to sort of see retrospectively that everybody agreed that this was a good idea. In fact, it wasn't. It was it was difficult, but eventually people, you know, were, were prepared to, you know, give enough ground to um, make the bold experiment that is Australia, blah-de-blah, blah. And, um, and he was just reflecting on the, the sort of mean-spiritedness not just towards Indigenous people, but the sort of suspicion and paranoia that um, echoes around some aspects of this debate now uh, that we're seeing in 2023. Hasn't the National Press Club played a remarkable role in recent years? Well, I like to think so as its president, uh, Philip. <laughs> Sometimes now, controversially, but there we go. You also note the failure and shortcomings of our media mm. in presenting the debate. Yeah, look, uh, I think this is going to be a, a big point of discussion, Philip. Um, I just talked about the fact that there'd been, um, you know, plenty of misrepresentation that some sections of the media had been involved in. But I think there's also this uh, question of false equivalence, this or, or this sort of idea that, you you know, you have to have balance in inverted commas, um, which has constrained um, a lot of the media, including the ABC, you know, for good reasons, you know, that we uh, as a public broadcaster have to represent both sides of the argument meticulously equally. Uh, but when you've got a no campaign, and we found this also at the press club, frankly, uh, where we were trying to make sure that, you know, we always had the same number of uh, yes speakers as no speakers. If the no speakers don't want to turn up on the television uh, or on the radio uh, or at the press club, it makes it very difficult. And um, I think beyond that and beyond the points I was making in the column, I think when you think about it, um, because this was basically a yes-no debate um, and there weren't questions about, you know, changing influences in electorates that you'd get in a federal election of things like the Teals, the the absolutely huge impact of social media as opposed to uh, sort of traditional media sources, I think really comes into play. You know, that there are whole discussions that are going on on social media platforms, some of which are completely wild. I mean, there are, there are really legitimate reasons to say, um, I don't think that this is a good proposition and I'm going to vote no because I've got questions about it. But some of the really crazy quite racist, um, quite conspiratorial, mad stuff that's gone on, um, you know, is something that I don't think anyone, anyone around the world has really worked out what they do about and it's certainly something that we have to think about in Australia um, in the future. Laura, this may be the last time we vote under the current electoral rules because the government is uh, still pursuing electoral law reform, isn't it? Um, yes, but um, I'm, <laughs> excuse my cynicism, Philip, electoral law reform is sort of one of those things that sort of tends to bite the dust more often than not. Well, that is a very sceptical um, <laughs> thing. 
thing Sorry. for you to say. Okay. Uh, and one other matter. we Last week we saw the government announce the results of a review into the Australian migration system. The report described the visa system as broke. This is a really interesting story in itself, Philip. A lot of it's been driven by uh, the investigative report reporting by uh, Nick McKenzie and Michael Bachelard uh, in the nine newspapers, um, and the report's quite clear about that. But there's a few elements of it that are building up into a bigger story here. First of all, there's this um, report on the visa system, which, I mean, we've known for, you know, a long time, and I think you've covered it a lot on LNL, the fact that um, most of the people who come to Australia come as temporary migrants, not permanent uh, migrants. Uh, but this... Uh, but the, um, the two, there are two reports. There's a Christine Nixon report and then there's a, there was a separate announcement um, about um, asylum seeker um, and, ref, and refugee um, visas as well um, and clear, cleaning up that system because essentially uh, the findings are that through both these systems they're being exploited um, to uh, facilitate things like human trafficking. But these are, I think and the very political nature of the way the government presented these, I think, is in part because the government's got an even bigger agenda for overhauling the migration system to um, get better skills, um, mixes of people into Australia, um, really make the system much more efficient, make sure that it doesn't undermine our labor, our existing labour force and, and, um, and wages in Australia. Um, that's obviously going to be an incredibly contentious issue. So I think the government wanted to make sure that it had nailed, um, you know, problems in the system that were supposed to be the centrepiece of what the coalition has always done as not working before it starts on those bigger issues. In your absence, we've, you've had some great uh, stunt doubles, Laura, but I have to say you've still been greatly missed and it's good to have you back on the Little Wireless program. Laura Tingle, Chief Political Correspondent, 7.30, back next week to dissect the result of, yes, the referendum. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.